Do you have wood for my sheep? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bardic Inquisition podcast. I am your host, Vince, and today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite board games, and that is The Settlers of Catan. But before I get started, I would like to give a special shout-out to one Miss Jennifer Schaefer over on the Patreon, helping uh, keep the lights on and keep the show going. Thank you very, very much for your support. And remember, guys, if you would also like to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Inquisition. And with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into this week's topic. Settlers of Catan. You might have heard of this game. You might have even seen it on, say, a popular TV show like The Big Bang Theory. Maybe you know a couple of board game geeks and you've seen them play it. Or perhaps you've just seen it on a Walmart shelf somewhere. Because, let's be honest, the game's everywhere nowadays. And that's not too terribly surprising because it's actually a really great game. It's good for whenever you're having a party and you just kind of want to whip out a good party game. It's good for if you have kids and you want to play a family board game with them. There's a lot of little niches that this game just fits nicely into, and I'll get into why that is later. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the history of where this game came from, who made it, and where it was invented. Klaus Teuber was a dental technician in Darmstadt, Germany, but he wasn't really happy with his job. One thing that he did, however, enjoy was making complex board games in his basement. See, to him, it was kind of an escape, kind of a getaway to his own world, where he could be free to do what he wanted and what he loved, which was, well, board games. And he worked at this for a while, and in 1995, he finally decided to release one of his games in Germany called Die Siedler von Catan which we know as now the Settlers of Catan. The game was almost instantly popular, going on to win the Spiel das Jahr, or Game of the Year, that very same year, and the game was even released in the United States in 1996. 
In fact, the game ended up being so popular that in 1998, Toyber was able to retire from his job as a dental technician and fully rely on royalties from the game itself to feed himself and his family. Since its release in 1995, in fact, Catan has sold more than 8 million copies and can be found just about anywhere, including Walmart and Target, and is available in several different languages across several different countries. But that's enough history, I think you guys have enough of that to go on. However, that doesn't really explain why the game is so popular. In fact, in order to get into that, I think we first have to look at how to play the game so we can kind of understand why it appeals to the people it appeals to. Settlers of Catan is a game to be played with two to four players, but you can actually buy extensions that extend that number to five to six players, which is actually really great because I find that the game is actually more fun the more players you have. And you'll see what I mean in a minute. To start the game off though, several tiles or uh, hexes are placed around randomly in a frame that goes around the outside of the board. And these different tiles produce different resources. After the tiles or hexes themselves are placed, random circular numbers are placed on the tiles. And these will be numbers ranging from 2 to 12. After the numbers are placed, the gray pawn, also known as the robber, is then placed on the desert tile, and you'll know which tile that is because it's the only one that looks like it looks. It looks like a desert. Now, in most games, once the board is set up, that's when the play begins. But there's one more step before the players actually start playing the game, and that is players choosing where their starting settlements are. Once it's been decided who is going first, starting with that player and going clockwise around the table, each player chooses where they want to put their settlements. Now, it's important to note where you're putting it on the board because you want certain resources and you want certain numbers. Catan is built around five types of resources, brick, lumber, grain, wool, and ore. And each type of tile generates one of those kinds of resources, with the exception of the desert, of course. Now, they only generate these resources when their number gets rolled onto six-sided dice. So, for example, if you have a settlement touching a wheat tile that has a 9 on it, anytime anyone rolls a 9, you will get wheat from that tile. So ideally, what you want to do is place your settlements in between tiles that are likely to generate often, and also tiles that generate resources that get used a lot, like wood. Wood gets used for just about everything. And don't worry if you are not a savant in probability. There are tiny little dots underneath each number, and the more dots a number has, the more likely a number is to get rolled. In fact, while most of the numbers are in black print, sixes and eights are actually in red print because they get rolled very often. 
So with all that in mind, each person goes around the table, placing one settlement and one road coming off of that settlement. But hold on to your hats because we're not quite done there. You see, after everyone places their first settlements, going back around the other way, starting with the last player to place their first settlement, everyone then places their second settlements, and of course a road coming off of that. This one is a little bit different, however, because while both settlements determine what kind of resources you'll end up having access to, this settlement determines which resources you'll get at the start, and it's determined by whichever resource tiles that the settlement is touching whenever you decide where you're placing it. So, great, everyone has placed their second settlements and got their starting resources. So, we're ready to play, right? Yes! Yes, we are. So, here's how the turns proceed. At the start of your turn, you roll the dice. Whatever number the dice lands on, those tiles with that number on them generate resources. And they generate resources for everybody that has a settlement that is touching that tile. Now, after everyone's gotten their resources from the die roll, you then may choose to trade with one or more of the players around the table. And this is very useful because you might notice as you start placing your starting settlements that you might not be able to get access to every single resource, so being able to trade is crucial. And keep in mind that every trade that you make does not have to be one for one. You can choose to, say, sweeten the pot by offering extra resources if players seem unwilling, or you may be able to, if you know you have the upper hand, may be able to talk them into sweetening the pot a little bit in your favor. And the reason, of course, you're getting these resources is to build, and that is what you'll be doing in the next and final part of your turn. There are four different things that you can build in Catan, and they are all important for different reasons. One is a road. You need roads to connect settlements together. In fact, you have to have at least two road lengths between each settlement, and each settlement has to be touching a road in order for you to build it. So, roads are important. Then, the next thing you have is settlements. These, of course, you have to build to get resources. So, in order to get resources from a tile, you have to have a settlement touching that tile. And, in order to use a port, which I'll explain momentarily, Again, you have to have a settlement touching that port. Now, cities you don't really build. In fact, cities are just upgrades for your settlements. So, when you have enough resources for a city, which is two wheats and three ore, you can replace one of your settlements with the city. What makes that special and unique is that when a die is rolled and you have a city next to that tile, that tile generates two resources for you instead of one. Now, the last thing you don't really build either, and that is development cards. For the low, low price of a wheat, a sheep, and an ore, you can buy a development card. And some of these are knights, which move the robber around. Some of these are hidden victory points, which you save till the end of the game and flip them over in a big surprise, aha, I win moment. And some of these are other effects. But regardless of who you choose to trade with and what you choose to build, after you're finished, you simply pass the dice along to the next player. 
Now, you might notice, playing through the game, that there are no tiles that generate on a 7, and that is very intentional, because something very special, and uh, some might say bad, happens on a 7. You see, when a 7 is rolled, two things happen. One, if any player is holding more than 7 cards in their hand, they have to discard half of their cards rounded down. The second thing that happens is whoever rolled the 7 gets to move the robber. And this is kind of an important decision because whichever tile you choose to move the robber onto, that tile no longer generates resources, and you get to steal a random resource from one of the players whose settlements are touching that tile. As a word of caution though, uh, be careful who you do this to because it may come back to bite you if you choose the wrong person and if they happen to hold grudges. That's most of the mechanics of the game, but how do you actually win? Well, the key here is victory points, and the magic number here is 10. The first person to 10 victory points wins the game, and there are several ways to go about getting these victory points. For starters, each settlement is worth one victory point. Each city you have is worth two victory points. You can also get two victory points by being the person who has the longest road card. This is a special card given to the player that is the first one to reach five roads in a row. However, it can be stolen if somebody passes up that length. Then you have the largest army card, which is given by the first player who flips three knight development cards. Now, again, this can be stolen if somebody passes up your number of knights flipped. And of course, the last way to earn victory points is by having simply those little hidden victory point development cards that are just laying face down, waiting for you to flip them. Now, you might notice if you start to get ahead a little bit that people might stop trading with you, and this kind of sucks, but there are other solutions. You see, for the cost of four of the same resource, you can trade the bank for any one resource that you want. And four might seem a little steep, and it is, but there are ways to mitigate this. You see, around the outside edge of the board, there are things called ports. Some of these are 3 to 1 ports, which basically just change your exchange rate if you have a settlement at the port to a 3 to 1 ratio instead of a 4 to 1 ratio with the bank. And some of these are 2 to 1 ports, but for a specific resource. So if you have a certain resource that you generate a lot of, say sheep or wool, you can choose to trade the bank to sheep for any one resource. And that's it. That is literally how to play Catan. Pretty straightforward. It might sound complicated at first, but once you've gotten the hang of it, it's really simple, but it's also really fun. But let's go ahead and move on and talk about who this game appeals to and who it's for. Settlers of Catan is a really great game for just about any household, 
but I would say it's really enjoyed by social gamers. It has a little bit of that social, political kind of element to it, and it's really good for thinking about things like resource management. I would even go as far to say, and I'm not the only one who has said this, that this is a really good game for getting into more serious or European-style board games. In fact, The Settlers of Catan is actually one of the first games that I teach new friends that are wanting to get into board games, and I've taught so many people how to play Catan, and they all really enjoy it. In fact, every now and again, for like a holiday or an event that people come over, we will whip out The Settlers of Catan and have a really good time playing. The game is a blast, and I encourage you to, if you see it on the shelf at Walmart, consider picking it up. I can almost guarantee that you will not regret it. Speaking of which, you can, of course, find this game at Walmart or Target or even on Amazon. But, again, as I mentioned in my Magic the Gathering episode, if you have a local game store, consider going there to purchase The Settlers of Catan because a lot of the times they will A, have it in stock, and B, could probably use the funds more than, say, a giant corporation could. But that's it. That is The Settlers of Catan, guys. Let's go ahead and move on into the outro so that we can get you guys out of here for the day. Thank you guys very much again for listening to this episode of the Bardic Inquisition. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email at bardicinquisition at yahoo.com. And don't forget, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a Patreon. So consider donating at patreon.com slash bardicinquisition. For my regular listeners, sorry if this was kind of a short episode, but it's a relatively simple game and a relatively simple topic, so I went a little bit short today, but that's alright, don't worry, I'll be back next week with another episode of The Bardic Inquisition. You guys, have a good night, thank you for listening, and hey, consider playing Catan. (laughs) 